So a few months back, I had a little episode. It was about 6.15 in the morning. I was in my garage, and um, I found myself grabbing things, things that were out of place, shoes, backpacks, towels, shirts, socks, anything that I could get a hold of that wasn't in its proper place. And I was throwing them across the garage as hard as I possibly can at 6.15 in the morning. And I could literally feel the heat behind my eyeballs. Has anybody ever been that mad? Has anybody ever been that angry? How in the world did I get to this spot? I thought to myself. Because a few moments earlier, I was reading my Bible, I was praying, I was journaling like I always tell you guys to do, and a few moments later, I was losing my ever-loving mind, throwing things in my house. Well, if you back up, uh, just about 30 minutes prior to that, I was going through my morning routine, and you know, like I said, I read the Bible, I pray, I journal, all that stuff, then I get in the shower, and I get out of the shower, and I shave. When I go into the, out of the shower and shave, and there's this little bit of a window there, you know, this is probably too much information, but when you get out of the shower, your skin is a little softer, so this, the hair comes off a little easier, probably too much information, you're like, you should shave in the shower, I don't have a mirror in my shower, anyway, anyway, everybody <laughs> relax. I'm out of the shower, I'm trying to shave, and I go into my drawer, and there's no shaving cream. And I have, you know, one can, I have a backup can, and, now, and they're both missing. So... That's what started the process. I'm like, man, now I've got to like, you know, half naked, go find this shaving cream somewhere in my house. And I know what happened. It's, you know, one of the creatures that lives in our house. We also refer to them as children. <laughs> one of them has, has taken my shaving cream. And I don't know if you have this problem or not. When your kids come in your bathroom and just take stuff that doesn't belong to them. But it, it's a thing in our house. And one of them has taken it. So I go upstairs and I'm thinking, it's probably my oldest because he's got the most facial hair. So I go into his, he's still sleeping. I go into his bedroom. It's like, where's my shaving cream, Andrew? He's like, oh, I don't, you know, he's half awake. Oh, I think it's in the basement. I'm like, the basement? What <laughs> the heck is it doing in the basement, you know? We don't even use that bathroom down there, you know? So, so, uh, so, but as I'm up there, I also notice that his room is a mess and you can't even see the carpet. And it's covered with clothes and it's like, it has an odor. You know what I'm saying? Just... Athletes, socks, towels, wet, sweaty shoes. It's like, oh man, so that starts. So now I'm like, I feel it even more. Go into the other bedroom. My other son's bedroom's not much better. You know, he's got a couple of animals in there, so it smells a little bit like a zoo. And I'm like, <clears throat> go to my daughter's bedroom, and her bedroom's kind of messy too. The landing's messy, and I'm like, everything's a mess, and I don't have shaving cream. And now I'm like, it's starting to build. I start to, I start to feel it. You know how this thing escalates, right? So then I go downstairs, all to the basement, get my shaving, come upstairs, and now I'm noticing everything. Now I'm like, well, backpacks and the towels and the shoes and the shoes, the shoes are what get me every time. And so after I get dressed, I'm just, I'm getting, I'm walking around the house, six, I'm hoping people will hear me, closing doors loudly, wake up, somebody wake up, I'm the only one up here dealing with all this nonsense. And as I'm walking out the door, I finally look one last time at the garage and I see everything and that's when I just start grabbing stuff. And I had an episode. Last week we started a series called Internal Enemies. And uh, Cody, Pastor Cody got us started last week. Didn't he do a fantastic job last week? Thank you, Pastor Cody. 
got us started on this. And uh, essentially what he said was that there are greater, there are more things inside of us that can do, that can do damage to us than there are outside of us. Right? There are things that, that, that things like envy and jealousy and shame and insecurity, and today we're going to talk about anger. There are far more things inside of us that can hurt us than outside of us, which is not intuitive. We often think that things that can hurt us are outside. Like when we hear the word enemy, we think of other people, things outside of our lives. We don't often think about the things that are going on under the surface in our own heart. I love what Theodore Roosevelt said. He said this, if you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you wouldn't sit for a month. <laughs> and I've, I've always kept that in mind, like I'm, I'm my worst enemy. You are your worst enemy. Do you agree with this? I mean, this is not intuitive, but it's true. And Pastor Cody also introduced us to the second idea that if we don't get these things under control, if we don't learn to handle, handle these internal enemies and keep them in check, they can destroy us. If you were here last week, you heard him talk about Tanya Harding and how jealousy and envy got to her and what she did to Nancy Kerrigan. And he also talked about King Saul and what he did to David or tried to do to David. Like, these things will eat us up. They can destroy our lives. And so today all I want to do is talk about this next internal enemy called anger. Before I do that, I want to welcome all of our campuses, our Banta campus, our Franklin campus, our Gulfrail Park campus, our online campus, the Theodora House, the Johnson County Work Release. We welcome all of you. Thanks for being here today. So let's get into this thing called anger. Why do we get angry? Why, why does it happen to us? Like, what happened that, that morning a couple of months ago when I was throwing stuff in my garage? We get angry in your notes there because we simply don't get what we want. We want things to go a certain way, and they don't go that way. We get on the phone with AT&T. We want them to answer a simple question, and they put us on hold three times, right? We want the insurance company to pay for the procedure, and they don't pay. We want them to pay for the accident. They don't pay. We want you know, our spouse to come home from work on time so we can have dinner. They don't come home. Until we're mad. We're angry. We would love for our spouse to stick within the budget when it comes to spending. Just spend within the budget, and they can't do it, right? And we get angry, right? We want the new cell, uh, for a student, we want our parents to buy us the new cell phone. They won't get it for us. We want the new clothes. They won't get it for us. We get angry because we don't get what we want. And that's not intuitive. We often think, no, you don't understand. The anger in my heart is because of the, somebody took my shaving cream. It's not my fault. That's not, the anger is not my issue. Someone stole from me. That's so easy to do, but it's not true. All this did was show me that I already had anger in my heart. Listen to what James said, the brother of Jesus. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Why are there arguments? Why is there fighting? Why do people get upset and throw punches or blast people on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or, or whatever or email? Don't they come? Go, let's go back one slide. Don't they come from the evil desires that are Say it with me, within you. This text right here shows us that the battle is inside of us. That's where the anger comes from. Now, there might be a trigger that unleashes that anger, but the anger was there before the trigger. Listen to what James says. He says, you want what you don't have. In other words, you didn't get what you wanted. You could phrase it that way. So, because of that, you scheme and you kill to get it. And I said, oh, man, kill? Who's killing? Well, we'll get there in a second. James actually gets this teaching from his brother, Jesus, and, and we'll show you what he has to say about this issue in a little bit. But essentially, the teachings from James chapter 4 is that 
anger, the source of anger is in our hearts. It comes from within. We don't get what we want. Pastor Cody was sharing a story with me this week and I thought it was a fantastic story, so I thought I'd share it with you. He said, you know when I get really angry? I said, no, tell, tell us, share us, share with us, that's great. He said, I get really angry when I go up to the coffee shop and I order my latte and, and I tell them, no whip. And, and, and he said, you know, it's about a 50-50 chance and, that I get the whip and, or, or, if, or if I don't get the whip. And every time I tell him no whip, and uh, I don't have permission to share this story, so he's probably going to get back at me for this. But anyway, and so when I get the latte back and there's whip on the latte, I envision the, 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 uh, the sliding glass closing through the drive-thru and then taking the latte and throwing it against the window and exploding and then walking up to the window and saying, no whip in the, in the splash. Now, Pastor Cody, he's never done that. He just said he fantasizes about that. We get angry because we don't, we don't get what we want. The kids don't follow the systems we put in place for them, you know. The spouse doesn't behave the way they're supposed to pick up their people, don't pick up their shoes, you know. The boss makes us work after hours. We're, you know, we're excited to go home and be off, and now we have to do this extra assignment, you know. We don't get what we want. Now, why are we talking about this? Why is it such a big deal? Why isn't it okay just to rage out and say, you know what, it's fine, you know, just have, you know, do your little rage thing, it's okay, it's, it's, it's not a problem. The reason we have to talk about it is because anger starts a vicious cycle. And, and you and I, we, we really don't know if we can control it. We think we can, and, but maybe we can, maybe we can't. It just, it, it just depends. Anger starts a vicious cycle. See, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 17, that short-tempered people do foolish things. Is this, doesn't this resonate? Like, when, when, when you've done some of the stupidest things in your life, wasn't it because you were angry? Maybe not every time, but, but haven't you done some silly, foolish things because you lost your temper? You sent that email, you said that thing, you, you punched a wall, you, you, you were passive aggressive, and, and we've done, we, listen, here's the deal with anger. It's, a, it's an emotion that becomes so toxic that it overrides your reason, your reasoning abilities. And that's why we act in foolish ways when we're anger. And we don't know where it's going to go. We don't know where it's going to end. We don't even know if we can control it. It starts this vicious cycle. Let me show you in your notes. That's actually not in your notes, but we left a place for you to draw it there. This is how the cycle looks. It starts with anger. Somebody takes your shaving cream. Somebody gives you a whip on your, on, your, on your latte. Somebody is in the left lane driving slow, right? Anybody else? You know, the worst one for me is the tailgating. It's just they're on your tail and they're just like on your tail and you're like, man, you need to back up, you know? And so what I do is I just hit the brakes. I know it's not spiritual. I know, I know, Jesus forgive me, but I'm just like, you need to back up off my tail. Anyway, something happens and it triggers this anger and then what we would go to is quickly this thing called resentment. And this is where we're holding a grudge against somebody. And we just, it's just in there, it gets in our craw. Now we have something against someone. Now, if we don't fix the problem here, it quickly goes to this thing called bitterness. And bitterness is more of like a settled, like, posture towards somebody. And it doesn't just stop with the, with the person who's hurt you. It starts to spill over to the people in your home or the people in your office or the people on your floor or the people in your department or the people in your house. 
And then if we don't deal with bitterness, it's, it slowly go, moves into this thing called contempt. And contempt is this darker, deeper, more sinister, more evil emotion. And basically it expresses itself in thoughts like this. I wish you weren't here. You're worthless. You have no value. I wish you would die. I wish you were dead. It's a terrible place to be. Bitterness, contempt, and the next part of the cycle makes complete sense, mistreatment. And this is when we just devour people and, and talk about them and slander them and punch them or kick them or shoot them. Remember what James said? You don't get what you want, so you scheme and you... Where does murder come from? Murder comes from this trigger of anger. Did you know that road rage killings, that's a thing, road rage killings, usually with guns, are up 500% in the last 10 years in this country. And I know we have friends watching across overseas in different countries, but in America, road rage killings are up 500% in the last 10 years. We think we can control this here, but many of us cannot. A couple of years ago, there was a man named Will Smith, not the actor, the football player. He played for the New Orleans Saints. Nine-year veteran of the NFL, won a Super Bowl ring with Drew Brees from Purdue University. He's coming home from dinner one night with his, with his wife. He's in his Mercedes-Benz SUV, successful, millionaire, having a great night. He accidentally bumps the car in front of him. Some of you know the story. It's a Hummer, red Hummer. He doesn't think much of it, and, and there's actually videotape of, of the bump. It's, it, he hardly touches the car, so he doesn't get out. He just puts the car in reverse and drives around. Well, the guy in the Hummer didn't think it was, you know, that small of a deal, so he starts to chase, follow. We don't really know why he slams into the Mercedes, but he ends up slamming into the Mercedes. Maybe he did it on purpose. Maybe it was an accident. Slams into Will Smith's Mercedes-Benz. Will gets out. He's hot. He's mad. He's angry. An altercation takes place. And Cardell Hayes pulls a pistol out of his Hummer and shoots Will Smith seven times in the chest. And kills him right there on the ground. Will Smith's wife tried to get involved. She got hit twice in the leg. She survived. There's, still, there's footage on YouTube if you want to look it up. They're cartner into the ambulance. She's screaming. Like, we don't, we don't know how, if we can control this. How This could take 20 years and, and, and someone gets a divorce or someone loses their mind and, and mistreats somebody. It could take 20 minutes. We don't know. And because we don't know and we, because we may not have control over anger, Jesus addresses this in the most important sermon in the whole world, the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. You heard it said of old, or from our ancestors, or our ancestors were told, hey, don't murder, right? If you murder somebody, you're going to be subject to some serious penalties and judgment. Everybody agree? Ten commandments? That's one of them. Thou shalt not murder. But I'm going to tell you something new, Jesus says. Watch this. If you are even, say it with me, angry. Whoa. If you even get angry with someone, guess what? You're going to be subject to the same judgment. He puts anger and murder at the same level. How, what, what is he talking about? Remember what his brother James said. 
You don't have what you want, so you scheme and you kill to get it. Why does Jesus equate anger or put anger at the same level of murder? Here's why. Let's go back to the cycle. Can we go back to the circle real quick? Because murder starts here. And if we get rid of this, we will never come to this. Yes or no? So Jesus is addressing the heart issue. He's addressing the source of murder. And the source of murder is anger. And we don't know if we can control it or, or if we can. So Jesus says we've got to get rid of all of it. If you want to protect yourself, this is serious business. He goes on, like that's not enough. Like he, after verse 22, Jesus presses in even further. Listen to what he says in verse 23. So if you are presenting your sacrifice at the altar in the temple, or if you're at the worship service on Sunday morning, that's the, you know, the same thing, and you suddenly remember that someone is angry with you or someone has something against you or you have something against someone else, I want you to leave the worship service. Leave your sacrifice at the altar and here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and be reconciled. Go and fix the relationship with that person. Then come back to the worship service and sing your songs and listen to the sermon. What is Jesus doing here? Think about his audience. His audience is a Jewish audience and, and coming to the temple and offering your sacrifice is the most important event of the entire week. It's the most important thing in their life as a Jew is to worship God and put God first and to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Jesus is saying, here's what I want you to do. Prioritize reconciliation with the person who's angry with you over worshiping me. Whoa, think about that. It's as if Jesus is saying, you cannot make progress with me. You cannot move forward in a relationship with me and be at odds with someone in your life and have a grudge and have bitterness and have resentment. Go make it right with them and then come back and work on the relationship with me. You cannot be right vertically until you're right horizontally. Why is he saying this? He, he, the reason Jesus is saying this is because he knows if there is a root of bitterness in your heart, it will ruin your life. Listen to what the author of Hebrews said. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Watch out. Be on guard that no poisonous root of bitterness. Where's bitterness comes from? Come from resentment, anger. Watch out that no poison of bitterness grows up and ruins your life, troubles your life, and corrupts everyone around you because it doesn't stop with you, does it? It affects the kids. Who pays the price for divorce ultimately? The children do. They didn't even do anything. But here's what happens. The bitterness, the anger, the contempt ends up affecting them. It ends up affecting the people in the church, the small group. It ends up affecting the whole office. Everybody pays the price for your anger. Make sure no poisonous root of bitterness grows up in you troubling many including you. This is serious business. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some of you got up right now and just listened to what Jesus said. He said, get up. If you suddenly remember somebody has something against you, leave the worship service. Go reconcile and then come back. Maybe you can make it back for the end of the sermon. <laughs> I'm half joking. Somebody got up at the 9.15, the 9 o'clock. Maybe they were just didn't like my sermon. I'm not sure. <laughs> this is serious business. And we have to deal with this. We don't know if we can control this deal. And so Jesus says, make sure that there's no anger in your life. So 
how do we deal with this? Like, how do we deal with anger? That's what I want to spend the rest of our time. There's so much that can be said about this. We don't have enough time to capture everything, but I want to give you a couple of ideas. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11 says this, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Foolish people just like, oh, I'm angry, so I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to send the email. I'm going to, I'm going to say what I think. I'm going to, I'm, I'm just going to be authentic. <laughs> that's, that's the new one, right? Well, I'm being authentic. What do you want? I'm be, you know, well, you're, you know, being authentic doesn't mean you have to talk all the time, you know. Fools vent their anger. Anger makes us foolish. But the wise have figured out how to hold it back. What does that mean? It means to quench it, to calm the anger, to stop the anger from moving forward. That's what the wise have, have figured out how to do. And so let me, let me share a couple of thoughts to help us become wise. How do we prevent ourselves from being angry people? How do we deal with this internal enemy? Two practices. The first one is we need to learn how to practice not getting what we want. Practice not getting what we want. And it is a practice. And I use that word intentionally. Here's why. Because this is a process. This is a journey. And when you're practicing, you, you have this posture of I'm not going to give up. Yeah, this is something that's going to take some time. Remember why we get angry. We get angry because we don't get what we want, right? We wanted a latte without whip. We wanted the shaving cream to be there. We wanted to get home at five o'clock and not have to work anymore. And, and guess what? We don't get what we want. So you and I have to learn how to practice, simply practice not getting what we want. Now, you can do this as a non-Christian. You don't have to be a Christian to do this. There are many people who are atheists and non-believers or people of other faiths that have a very calm approach to life and they don't have very much anger in their life at all. So you don't need Jesus in your life to live in victory over anger. However, Jesus does offer us a lot of help on this issue. In fact, to be a Christian, I don't know if you know this or not, but to be a Christian is to say, essentially, I don't have to have what I want. One time Jesus said this, if you want to be my follower, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick up your cross, which is a, an instrument of death, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Like to be a disciple means that I no longer have to have my way. All I want is Jesus to get his way. That's the posture of every Christian. Listen to how Paul explained it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Jesus died for everyone so that those who receive his new life by faith, okay, we become Christ followers, will no longer live for who? Themselves. Can we say that a little bit louder at all of our campuses? Them, this is a map themselves. This, this is a massive, like to be a Christian is to have this fundamental shift. From, like, before you're a Christian, it's like life is about me. I want what I want, my way. Get, I want my way all the time. Yeah, yada. And now as a Christ follower, I've said, no, no, no. I'm no longer going to live for myself. I'm no longer going to make myself the center of the universe. It doesn't have to go my way. Instead, watch this. They will live for who? For Jesus who died and was raised for them. So our whole life is now like, Jesus, when I wake up, I, I, I want what you want. I want you to get your way today. I'm not gonna fight for things to go my way. It doesn't have to go my way. Now, this takes some practice. But guess what? We have plenty of opportunities to practice because tomorrow somebody's gonna take your shaving cream. <laughs> 
Uh, maybe not your shaving cream. Maybe it's your tweezers. Maybe it's your nail clipper. Maybe it's your nail filer. I don't know what they're going to take. Something's going to happen, right? Someone's going to read something they shouldn't have read. Someone's going to post something they shouldn't have posted. Someone's going to do something that you don't like. Yes or no? So you're going to have an opportunity, hey, this afternoon, when you pick your kid up from the children's ministry, <laughs> something's going to go wrong and you'll have an opportunity to say it's okay because I don't have to have my way. Now, if that's your posture, you won't get angry. This is preventative, okay? This, is, this, this kind of posture helps you to not get angry in the first place when there's some sort of trigger in your life. Does that make sense? Now, how, what's, a, what's something that we can do to help with this? Well, something that I've noticed, and I need to do this more, is, is fasting. And fasting is simply withholding something from your, from your life. Normally, most of the time, it's food. For a certain period of time, 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever it is, you deny yourself food for a certain period of time, and here's what happens. Your stomach, in, within the first couple of hours, says, feed me. What's wrong with you? Have you lost your mind? I'm hungry. And it lets you know. And then it'll fade, and then it'll come back a couple hours later, but it'll come back stronger. Heaven, has anybody ever tried this before? We've done fasting here at the church, uh, in the, usually the first of the year. And then, you tell your, and then your spirit tells your stomach to shut up, and it calms down, and then it comes back around 6 o'clock that night. What's wrong with you? Feed me, right? And then you have to tell your stomach to shut up again, and then so on and so forth for the next day or two or however long you fast. And what happens is your, your, your body is going to tell you, you're going to die. And, you, and, and it really feels that way. But guess what? After two days, three days, you don't die. And you teach yourself that you don't have to have what you want. It's one of the very powerful lessons of fasting. Maybe we'll get a chance to do it. We'll practice that the first of the year in January. So, number one, we have to practice not getting what we want. That's to prevent us from even getting angry in the first place. Number two, we have to practice forgiveness. We have to practice forgiveness. Reconciliation, making it right. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4. I love this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and there it is, anger. Harsh words, slander, all types of evil behavior. So we're told to get it out, get rid of it. How do we do that? Listen to what he says in the next verse. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, and then he tells us, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. We'll circle back to this last statement in a little bit. But he says, here's how you get rid of anger. You forgive. What does it mean to forgive? Some of us get, we don't like that word. <laughs> or as C.S. Lewis said, we all like the idea of forgiveness until we have to forgive somebody. And I think that's totally true. <laughs> But forgiveness, a lot of us don't like it because it, it sounds like we're letting that person off the hook or we're sweeping it under the carpet or we're looking the other way or we're pretending like it didn't happen. And forgiveness is none of that. Forgiveness is saying, yeah, that was wrong, that hurt, but I'm not going to hold it against you. See, I'm not going to hold a grudge. I'm not going to get bitter. I let it go. I forgive you. It's as if it didn't happen. I choose to drop the charges. That's what forgiveness is. And when you do that to somebody, guess what? In your notes there, forgiveness stops the cycle. Remember the cycle? Anger, resentment, bitterness, contempt, mistreatment. When you forgive somebody, it, it breaks that cycle from going any further. 
You say, that's a good idea, but I, I, and I understand it, but I still can't do it. I, I, I don't know how. Well, let's go back to verse 32. How do we forgive somebody? Gee, Paul tells us. He says, I want you to forgive one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, how has Christ forgiven you? Well, he died on the cross for you. And when you trusted in him, if you're a believer, he washed away all your sin, past, present, future. He, gave, he forgave it all. He holds nothing against you as a believer. In the same way that Christ has forgiven you, so you must also forgive others. Oh, so here's the deal. If Jesus is not going to hold any of my sin against him, how can I then hold someone else's sin against them? Isn't that a little bit hypocritical? Isn't that a little bit inconsistent? And that's why Paul says, forgive as God has forgiven you. That's how we do it. That's how we extend grace. And when we do that, we stop the cycle of anger. When I was in Florida last week on vacation with my wife, uh, there's a gym close to where we were staying. It was, it was in LA Fitness, just like the one we have here uh, locally. And I was on my way to, to the gym one morning, and uh, it was about 9 o'clock, uh, 8 o'clock, and... Um, there's a, like a, a two-laned entrance into the gym, and you have to merge into the right lane to get in, to turn right. And I merged into the right lane, but I didn't use my blinker. So there was a guy that was in a bit of a hurry behind me in a black Nissan Altima. And he got really close to my bumper, and he honked on his horn. And he kind of startled me. Like, you know, we're going 25 miles an hour in the parking lot. And I'm like, what's the deal? You know, it was my fault. I didn't use my blinker. So I admit it. But I looked in my rearview mirror, and I'm not kidding you guys. I, he was madder than anything. He was, oh. And I could tell he was kind of big. So it's like he was going to the gym too. He was going right where I was going. Like, and I literally thought, seriously, oh, crap. I, said, I think I said it out loud. Because he's this guy who likes to lift heavy stuff. He's going where I'm going. And I just ticked him off. So I literally prayed this simple prayer. And I meant it. Jesus, help me. I really, it wasn't a slang thing. It wasn't a, like a, uh, it was like Jesus. <laughs> so I turn and, and, and I go into the gym. And I'm just trying to be really careful. And he's just riding my tail, right? And so I, I pull into the parking lot. And he buzzes past me, does this really fast U-turn. And, and parks right in front of me, nose to nose. And I'm like, this is happening right now. I, like, it's a, I, I'm going to get beat up in the gym. I'm in Florida. Nobody knows where I am. I'm, I'm going to die. I literally started to feel those things. And he's looking. Now we're looking eye to eye. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> so I said a quick prayer. And, and I just, it was super quick. And, and I, I, did, I heard the Spirit say, I think maybe it was my thoughts, maybe it was God's thoughts, just say, just say sorry. So I got out of my car. I, he wasn't even out of his car. He was so heated he couldn't get out. And so I just looked at him and said, hey, sorry. <sighs> Gives me one of those. So I'm walking to the gym, and it's about 50 feet to get into the gym. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to watch when I get inside. Is he going to slash the tires? Is he going to key my car? Like, who knows? This guy's furious. So I'm walking across these 50 feet, and I hear God say, I'm just kind of, God, help me, what do I do? He, and God says, hold the door. And I'm like, hold the door? For that guy who wants to kill me? So I'm walking over, I'm like dragging my feet, you know, like, oh gosh, here we go. I open the door, and he's kind of still hanging out at his car, fuming. I mean, I'm seriously so mad. So I open the door, and there's people in front of this guy. So I'm like, hi, good morning, welcome to LA Fitness. Good morning. <laughs> Come right in. 
I'm the door, I hold the door for people, you know, I'm like, like a little middle school kid. I feel like I'm, you know, back in the eighth grade, like, you know. And so he finally marches out. And this dude's a big dude, you know. I'm like, oh, gosh, what's he going to say? What's he going to do? He's coming over to the door. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm sorry. I should have used my blinker back there. My apology. You know, well, I just didn't want to hit you. You know, I'm like, seriously, I didn't say anything. But, and he walks in and he's fuming. And I, I just said, sorry. He said, no problem. And, and I walk in. We ended up working out next to each other. It's really awkward. But here's, here's my point. Here's my point. If you want to stop this cycle... Seek reconciliation. If, if you have created the fault, apologize, go. If the other person did the fault, forgive. If you want to stop the cycle. Listen, what, what would have happened that day, that morning, if I was just a, in, in, a, in, a, in a bad spot and had a gun in my car? What if I was a bad dude? The feeling this guy was giving me was like, it's going down right now in the parking lot, get out. What if I would have had a gun in the seat? The same thing that happened to Will Smith and Cardell Hayes. Like, we're gonna, I'm not going to punch you. I can't beat you, but I can shoot you. Road rage. Up 500% over the last 10 years. What is road rage? You know what? I don't even like that term. You know what it is? Anger. <laughs> Anger is up 500% over the last 10 years. That's what it is. I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with myself. I can't handle it. So as soon as I sense it, as soon as I feel it, I am going to go and I'm going to make it right. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to say sorry. I'm going to choose to forgive. And that's what happens after you become angry. So number one, practicing not getting your way prevents you from getting anger, angry. Number two, forgiveness or seeking rec reconciliation helps you to come back after you've crossed the line of anger. Either way, you're stopping the cycle of anger. There's a German proverb that says this. He who has conquered his anger has conquered his enemy. My heart is to live my life without anger, to the best of my ability. I don't want a root of bitterness to take root in my soul and trouble my life and defile people around me. I don't want that. I don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. He who has conquered and anger has conquered his enemy. So, Here's the two questions I want you to take with you this week. Take it into your small group. Discuss this with your spiritual community. What is making you angry? And I could have said it this way. Who is making you angry? <laughs> you know, is, it, is, it, is it people who drive in the left lane slowly? Is it people who don't use their blinkers like me? Is it people who tailgate? Is it people who don't know how to go through roundabouts? And will you forgive them? Will you forgive them? Who do you need to forgive? These days I start to tell myself, you know what, they're probably having a bad day. They did that, said that, wrote that, whatever they did, forgot to do it. They prob they're, probably having a, they're probably stressed out. And immediately as I coach myself into that, I have mercy instead of anger. They're probably having a rough, they probably have a rough marriage. They probably have, they probably have, they probably have financial issues. It's, a, it's okay. Hurt people hurt people. So if somebody's hurting me, I understand they're probably hurting. So that puts my, my heart in a posture of mercy and empathy instead of anger. And it, and it allows me to extend forgiveness or apologize. Deal, let's deal with these internal enemies so they don't destroy our lives. You know, as we leave today, I wanna to go back to a verse in Ephesians chapter four, verse 32. 
Paul said, forgive others just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Do you know that God loves every single one of us so much that he gave his very own son to die on a cross for us, to be killed, to be murdered, to be crucified, so that we can have all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt removed so that we can be washed, so that we can be cleansed, so that we can become child, children of God. That's how much God loves us. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Romans chapter five, verse eight, but God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said it this way, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Like the message, I'm trying to make the message so clear. You can become a child of God by trusting in Christ and asking him to forgive you of all your sin. He died for you. He died in your place. He paid the penalty for your sin. Have you trusted in him to do that? Or have you been putting it off? Some of you have been putting it off. Maybe today's the day where you say to Jesus, I believe, I trust. Come into my life, forgive me my sin, make me your child, I believe in you. Maybe today is the day, if it is, if it is, I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer. Take these words, make them your own, trust in Christ today and become his child. If you feel led to do that, just close your eyes, bow your head. If this moment is for you, you know it. You feel God tugging on your heart. Just say this to him, simple prayer, Jesus, I trust you. I believe he died on the cross for my sin. I've put it off for long enough. I ask you to cleanse me, wash me, forgive me of all my sin, all my wrongdoing. Fill my heart right now with your spirit. Invade my life. Make me your child. I place my faith in you. And help me to extend that same forgiveness to those in my life who've hurt me, who've wronged me. I want to honor you with my life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we give God glory? Amen, amen. If you trusted in Christ today, whatever campus you're at, we wanna put a new believer's Bible in your hand. If you trusted Christ online, there's a place there that you can check us at, trusted Christ. We'll put your address in there. We'll send one of these to you in the mail. We wanna give you a free Bible. Here's why. We believe with all of our heart that as we read the word of God, he begins to change the way we think, then we, then we change the way we feel, and then that changes the way we act. So please grab one of these for free if you trusted Christ today. One more time, guys, can we give God glory? Amen.